It has been 40 years since West Ham United last won a piece of major silverware when they defeated Arsenal 1-0 in 1980 to lift the FA Cup. A few weeks ago, I spoke to the striker that played up front that day, David Cross, about ongoing issues in the world of football, including VAR, racism, as well as speaking about his overall career. I hope you enjoy this following interview. Please share and retweet if you can, and that would be much appreciated. So the first question, obviously, growing up in Manchester, uh, you played for Roxdale first. What, would, what was your feelings actually playing for Roxdale? And being a local lad in the local area, going um, like that. Well, yeah, it's interesting really because I'm not from Rochdale. I mean, I am from the town next to Rochdale, which is called Haywood. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm trying to think the best way to put this, but I played for our. You're aware of the the town team thing, you know, the under 15 town teams. Uh, yes, I think so. You know, so, yeah. like Doncaster would have a town team, and yeah. they were 15-year-olds. Well, I played for Haywood Town Team when I was 13, so I played a year young, if you like, because usually it's an under-15 team, so usually you're 14. Yeah. But I played as a 13-year-old uh, and had that season. Then the next season, as a 14-year-old, I played again because that was more or less my year. So I was a year young uh, in the first year I was with them. And then the second year, it was my my age. And of all those, if you say there was 22 lads of those two years, I mean, there'd be more than 22, really, because there'd be substitutes and lads who didn't play and lads who got injured. But if, if there were, like, 25 lads in those two squads, all of those other lads were picked up by professional clubs, apart from me. Yeah. I was the only one who didn't get picked up by a professional club. So obviously that must have that must have kind of what's the word lowered your confidence a bit in yourself maybe or no not at all because I just think I've just thought well that's great those lads have got picked up by clubs um, and that's great for them I, I you know I'm just I, first of all I was a young lad and I was only small I wasn't I wasn't very tall and I wasn't very strong I was just like obviously I was a good footballer but um, but the next part of the story is once I became I mean, I stayed at school after that. I went to school and did, I went into the sixth form and did my A-levels and left school when I was 18. Uh, in fact, I left just on my 18th birthday, Christmas. And of those 20-odd lads, I was the only one who became a professional. Yeah. So all those lads who got picked up when they were 14 and 15, I did get picked up, but because I then grew and got bigger and got stronger between the ages of 14, 15 and being 17 and 18, then what I had obviously came to the fore. And, and none of those other lads who I played with in those in that time were professional, became professional footballers. I was the only one who did. So in other words, it's like a story for any young lad who doesn't quite get picked up at any time. You know, there is still time to, to come through. It's not just, it's not just at that age group. Was there, was there anything you say you'd learnt at your first professional club that you took on in your later life as a professional footballer? Well, everything I became, really, was grounded on my first three years as a professional, which was at Rochdale, because it was only when I was at... I mean, I, I was playing for Rochdale Football Club, don't get me wrong. I was, I, you know, when I was 15, I then got picked up by Rochdale, 
and all the other lads were like at Manchester United and Manchester City and Blackburn and, and Bolton, you know, they were bigger clubs. I just kind of drifted to Rochdale um, and was really pleased to be playing for them as a schoolboy. And then gradually I kind of played in the reserves, uh, still as a schoolboy. Um, and then when I left school, they were able to offer me a contract, which I'd never dreamt that would happen. I just left school because I'd had enough. Um, and I was 18, I'd done the levels, so I just left school. And then they offered to sign me, and I just couldn't believe that I was going to be a professional. So I made sure that, I mean, I, I signed as a professional amongst a group of lads who were really hardened third division footballers. So, like, you learn pretty quick. If you didn't learn quickly, like, you, you weren't going to last five minutes. So I listened carefully, learned, and, and virtually everything, you know, that I became was ground on, uh, on that three-year period. Um, as a as a pro as a young pro at Rochdale. Yeah, and so I believe after your time at Rochdale, you went to Norwich and West Brom, and ultimately ended up at uh, West Ham United. How did the move to West Ham come about? Uh, well, I mean, you're missing a bit of the story out, I suppose. What happened was in the first season at Rochdale, I, I played a few games, I scored a few goals, but not many. And but they converted me from what I had been because I'd been a right winger for all of my school time. I was a, a, an outside right at number seven. And it was only when I became a pro that the manager stuck me up front and more or less said, get on with it. And I didn't really know what the job was because I hadn't never played as a striker before. Um, uh, so he'd just seen me at six foot two and stuck me up front. And, uh, and so I had to learn. And gradually after my first season, where I scored a few goals, but not many. But then my, my third season, after I'd had two you know, fairly difficult seasons learning the game, my third season just started and everything really seemed to fall into place for me in terms of I knew what to do. Um, and with about eight games into the season, I'd got a dozen goals and was, um, and was a leading scorer in the country. And it was quite obvious then that somebody was going to buy me. Uh, it was always in the papers, you know, that people were looking at me and who was going to take me. And in the end, it was Norwich City who bought me, and that became their record signing. Um, and they were top of the second division then. And subsequently, at the end of that season, we got promoted to the first division. So I started one season at Rochdale, not one, you know, wondering if I was going to ever make it as a pro. And 12 months later, at the start of the next season, I'm, I'm playing for Norwich City against Manchester United, Arsenal, Tottenham and Liverpool uh, in the first division. So it was a learning process continually for me. Um, so, yeah, from, so from Norwich, I then went to Coventry. Then I went to West Ham. No, sorry, I went to West Brom. And then I went to West Ham. Um, and when I was at West Ham... Again, it might be, seems that my birthdays were something significant, but I signed for West Ham on my 27th birthday um, and really was fairly confident that I knew what my job was then as a goal scorer. Yeah, would you say, what wanted you to go to West Ham? Obviously, Johnny Lowe was the manager there for a period, obviously one of the most successful managers in the club's history, really. What? What wanted to, what brought you to West Ham? What wanted you to sign there? Well, it wasn't so much that it was because they wanted me. Um, you can't pick and choose as a professional footballer, especially in those days. You know, 
was very much the clubs were in charge. I mean, now the, you know, the players have taken a lot of power from the from the clubs because of the way the contracts are. But um, the, the story of, of me at West Brom was I was playing for West Brom um, and I played up front with two lads. One's Laurie Cunningham and the other lad was Cyril Regis. Now, I don't know if you're aware of those two. Yeah, Cyril, yeah, Cyril Regis, yeah. Right, well, Cyril and Laurie were two black lads. And in the 70s, which is what we're talking about, I, was, I went to West Brom in 1976 and had one season there, well, two seasons, the end of one season and the beginning of the next. But in the 70s, that's when racism was rife in football. And these poor black lads were getting absolutely hammered every week by the crowds who thought it was just fun to poke you know to poke fun at, at, at the black lads because there wasn't too, that many of them about I mean there was bananas thrown at them and all sorts I mean it's terrible you know all of us lads we, like, it was awful for us you know being with these lads because they were all you know we were all young lads and you know for them to have to go through all that was uh, was absolutely appalling um, but Cyril and Laurie uh, myself and Laurie were the main strikers um, and but at the start of this, my second season, I got injured in the very first game of the season. I got I twisted my ankle and was out for eight weeks. And in that time, Cyril got inside in my place uh, and did so well. It was quite obvious that Cyril and Laurie were going to be the strikers, and that I probably would have been the third choice. Um, and at that point, that's when. West Ham United recognised probably that that was the situation at West Brom and came back for me because they had tried to sign me the year before uh, when I was at Coventry and, and I turned them down. I went to West Brom instead of going to West Ham. Uh, but then a year later when they, John Lyle realised that Regis and Cunningham were probably going to be the main strikers, um, that's when they came back for me uh, and I was then willing to go down and uh, very hard to sign for them. Certainly, obviously, Lyle's no longer with us, but what was no, he like? No, John died uh, five or six years ago, yeah. Yeah. What was he like as a manager and how was he playing under him? Um, well, he was tactically a brilliant young manager. I mean, he, he was only like 35, I think, when he got the job. He, but he'd learned so much from Ron Greenwood, who, who had been West Ham's manager for like 10 or 15 years before that. And John actually got the job because Ron Greenwood got the England job. Uh, and in fact, that was John's first signing uh, after, after he'd um, become manager because prior to that he'd, become, he'd been the assistant manager. Uh, but John was very tactically aware, and, um, but he was a good man manager as well. I don't know if you're aware, I'm sure you are, but I know you're only a young lad, but West Ham traditionally were a footballing side. You know, with very clever, talented footballers who played what is known as the West Ham way. Yeah. And I really wasn't that kind of a player. And you know, I was just an upfront number nine who battered people about, chased and carried people, uh, was very mobile and very brave in the box and willing to get hurt to score goals. And I really wasn't a typical West Ham player. So when I signed for John, you know, the kind of the deep down I thought maybe he's going to change me and, and want me to be different but that was where he was good because he actually said to me look he said I know you probably think you're not a typical West Ham player he said that's why I bought you because you're not a typical West Ham player he said and we need someone like you to be up, up front 
for us because we do create a lot of chances to score goals and, and we think that you will be somebody who can get on the end of them and get in the box and score. So John basically said to me, I've signed you because I know what you are and I don't want to change you. I want you to be what you were, what you always have been, but for West Ham and, and see how it goes. And so um, because John gave me that confidence that he believed in me, then um, you know, my career at West Ham, my five years at West Ham was probably the most uh, successful in terms of my, my goal scoring ratios because I think up till then I'd scored probably I think I'd got a goal in every probably one in every four games um, and when, once I went to West Ham I, I played 225 games for West Ham and got 99 goals so I was near, like almost you know I was nearly a, a goal every game and a half so you know my ratio of scoring goals is so much better at West Ham than, than it had been anywhere else Obviously perhaps the most well the best part of your career, you was up front for the FA Cup final against Arsenal. What was the mood like before that game and obviously after it as well? Um, well, I mean, every young lad who's ever played football probably dreams of playing in the Cup final and, and I was no different. I mean, the West Ham lads, six or seven of us of the, that team had played five years earlier in the Cup final in 75 uh, against Fulham. So, uh, they they were kind of used to that. I played at Wembley before in a cup final for Norwich City, but it was a League Cup final. It wasn't the FA Cup final. Um, so, and we were a second division side. In fact, we still are the the last second division side to win the cup. Um, and we were playing Arsenal, who were virtually top of the first division at that time. So we we went into it very much as underdogs. Um, but we 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 knew we had a good side. We knew we had good players, and. Uh, we knew also that the pressure was probably on Arsenal that, that, that day. So, um, but the interesting thing from a tactical point of view, when you're going back to John Lyle and his, in his ability as a manager, as a coach, was that he changed our formation that day. And um, we, don't, we were typically a 4-4-2 team with myself and Stuart Pearson up front together. Stuart Pearson being the lad who played for Manchester United for, for six or seven years prior to coming to West Ham. Um, but John changed the formation that day and played me up front on my own. So we played 4-5-1 uh, and just tried to stifle Arsenal and surprise them with that. So from my point of view, it, it meant that as a one long striker, it was very unlikely that I was going to get what I dreamed of doing, which was scoring the winning goal in the cup final, because my job really was going to be a different one that day. Um, my job mainly being to, to try and keep the ball along the Arsenal back line for as long as possible. Uh, and make sure that uh, our defensive setup was fairly solid. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the West Ham way as well, and that's kind of recently gone out the window kind of a bit, and players not really playing for the team. What are your thoughts on the current squad and the potential that it's, obviously it's been a bit of a poor season, but what potential do you think it has going forward? When you said um, the, the West Ham, when you started that, you, you said, the West Ham way is, is not the same now. Just to, just repeat what you said and then just get me head around that. Like, I'm trying to think. It's not... You said that the West Ham way is what it used to be, but it's not that way now, I think, because some like, along those lines. Yeah, along those lines, yeah. The West Ham way was quite simple, and John Lyle explained that to me. It was pass forward and move forward. 
and and that you and doing that you created things. So you pass the ball forward and then move forward. And and we that was how we played. Very often it wasn't. We never never ever really play out from the back, which is what teams do now. Um, we generally got the ball up to me fairly quickly. My big job, two jobs as a as a striker were number one. When the ball comes to you, hold it up, make sure you protect the possession, keep the defenders off, and hold it up and then wait for your support. And once you've done that and you gave it to the good creative players, then the next job and the most important part of the job was to get in the box and get on the end of what comes in. So that was how we played, and that was the West Ham way. Get it up, move the ball up front quickly, get support, get it out wide or come through the middle, whichever. Uh, but then get it into the box and, and, and hopefully create chances. So that was our way of playing. I mean, the difference now is that the game is more or less where in our day most of the play was in the final third as a defensive third or the final third at the other end as an attacking third. Most of the play was in either the defensive third or the attacking third. Now, most of the play is in the middle third where it's not really as significant. And I think possession is now more, it seems to be more important um, than than what we used to do, which was get it up front quickly and get it into the box. Um, so it is slightly different to how teams play now. Possession is seen as, as, more, uh, as more important than probably it was when we played. Um, but we took more chances probably then. We, we got it up to the front quickly big job for me holding it up and then getting it out wide or giving it to Trevor Brooking or someone coming through in the middle and, and then getting the box and, and, and finish. So the game's different now. Um, and the managers are different. You know, the West Ham managers now uh, aren't people who had been attached to the club for a long time. John Lyle and Ron Greenwood. I mean, I don't know if you're aware of this, but from the turn of the century in the 1900s, so 1900, to the year 2000, or well, um, let me just correct that. From the year 2000 to when John Lyle left the club in, I think it was 87, 1987. So in those 87 years, West Ham only had five managers. Yeah. Now, probably in the last 10 years, we've probably had five managers in those last in the, in the last 10 years. The point I'm making is that West Ham at that time were always going to give the manager's job to somebody who knew what West Ham were about. So one one manager who came in had learnt so much from the previous manager. So Ron Greenwood learnt so much from Ted Fenton, who'd been the previous manager for 20-odd years. Ron Greenwood's manager for 20-odd years, and John Lyle learnt so much from him. Uh, so the game is different now in terms of West Ham because managers come and they have their own ideas, whereas in that period of time, West Ham knew what West Ham were about. Uh, and, and now it is different because uh, managers come and have a different idea. You might get a foreign manager who, who has different ideas how to play. Um, and uh, you've, you've got managers now who sometimes are perhaps more defensively minded than than what we had. I mean, we weren't a defensively minded team at all. We worked on the basis that uh, if we did concede two goals in a match, it'd be all right because we'd get three ourselves because we created chances. So it was 
Um, we, we were a team who, who perhaps took more chances than, uh, than teams are prepared to do now. Yeah, would you say then, on the back of what you've just said about managers' uh, longevity for managers, would you say that David Moyes perhaps needs more time in his current role to get things right and figure out his own system going forward? Well, David's a uh, you know, tried and tested manager. Crikey, you know, his, his time at Everton, was he was absolutely brilliant. You know, they, he rejuvenated Everton Football Club, got the United, Man United job, um, and then has moved about a bit, obviously. Uh, he had one spell at West Ham and, and has now come back and having another spell. Um, so, I mean, he's probably well aware of what happens. The only trouble is now that... In our time, when we played, you know, a manager could go perhaps 10 or 15 games without without a result, uh, and and there would be no threat to his job. Now, if you lose three games, you know, it's almost as though the manager has uh, is is on the edge already. So uh, it's very difficult these days for, for managers to maintain that longevity, and very few. Um, I mean, I think Eddie Howe, for instance, at Bournemouth, is, I think he might even be the longest serving manager in the Premiership. He might find that's not right, but I, I don't think I'm, I'm far wrong on that. Um, so it, it is different now. The whole game is different now. The, the pressure, because of the, the huge amounts of money that are involved, the pressure on, on owners and, and directors to maintain the, you know, the financial interests of the clubs are so much different now than they probably were back in those days. So as far as a team is concerned, it is better to have a manager who is there for a period of time who can instill his, his beliefs and, and make sure that his players also take that on board. So, you know, the, the game has changed so much when I played, and, you know, you have to say that. And obviously, it's been quite a poor season this season for West Ham. And what's your thoughts on how this season has gone and what needs to change, really? Well, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, it's not for me to say. I'm not there every day watching what the players do and what they do in training, which, you know, the, the managers and coaches who've been there, obviously, they've had to change a manager. Pellegrini was in charge at the start of the season. It wasn't going great. Um, the signings, really, the big signings haven't uh, produced as much as they probably wished they could. And again, it's not easy to come into the premiership, certainly for foreign players to come over and all of a sudden find physicality of the Premiership um, is so different to, to other leagues in, around the world and around Europe. Um, so, you know, it was difficult. Uh, so they, they let Pellegrini go and brought David in. Um, and David's tried and tested. He brought his, his squad with him, his squad of coaches. Alan Irvin, who he's worked with over the years at Preston and, uh, and at Everton, uh, who's an excellent coach. Um, but, but it takes time, you know, and, and if if you're losing games and players lose confidence and the fans lose lose faith in the players out there, um, the pressures become become really difficult. So everyone, I think, recognises the Premier League is the hardest league in the world to, to be a part of. Um, you know, and, and West Ham probably are never going to be and never have been a side that look likely to to win the Premier League. Um, and really, in itself, maintaining your position in, in the division itself is, is, is success. Um, certainly financially, if you don't finish in the bottom three and you don't go down, then there is some measure of success there. The fans might not be that happy with it, with 
with what goes on to finish fourth from bottom. But there, that is success in itself because you maintain your position in the Premier League. Um, obviously, if West Ham win the next three games, they, could, they would then finish uh, on 43 points and probably finish 13th, 12th or 13th in the table. So, you know, it's not all done yet. And they've got Watford to play on Friday and then the last game is against Aston Villa. So, you know, they could easily get three three wins out of that, get nine more points and finish comfortably. It's just that at the moment it looks fairly precarious. Yeah. Obviously, one of the most controversial things that's been this season and something that's changed over the years is obviously... Yeah, the introduction of uh, VAR. And I just want your thoughts really on that this season, David, if you don't mind. No, uh, for me, it it needs to change. When it was... uh, you know, when it was said to be coming along two or three seasons ago and they said we need, the, you know, goal line technology, I was all for that. Yeah, you know, there's nothing worse than someone scoring a goal that hits the bar, bounces into the net and comes out and it's disallowed when it has actually gone in. Um, and, you know, my first thoughts when they were talking about VAR, it was going to be goal line technology, that it would just decide whether the ball had gone over the line or not. Um, which makes sense because, you know, when you think of, uh, of DRS in cricket, you know, and, and the same thing in tennis, Hawkeye in tennis, it tells you the facts, doesn't it? It tells you whether it was or whether it wasn't. Um, unfortunately for me, the VAR has just gone so far the other way that it's, it, it just can't be right. Um, for instance, I mean, I got, in my career, I scored, I think I played like 650 games and got 240 goals. I would say that if VAR had been involved when I played, um, half of my goals would have been chalked off for one reason or another. And that's not for offside. If you're offside, that's fair enough. But, I mean, when there's a, a, a slight nudge on somebody, you know, 15 seconds before the goal scored and, and that it's disallowed because of that, or there's some physicality in the box where you just happen to be a bit stronger than the centre-half uh, and he doesn't hit you as hard as you hit him and you score. I mean, now those goals are being disallowed. And, and the, the, pers- the people I feel sorriest for are the fans because you just can't celebrate a goal now. Um, you, you've got to wait to see if, if, if it actually has been a goal. And, and going back to the offside thing, I mean, if, if someone is clearly offside, then that's fine. But when somebody's elbow or, you know, the one toe of his boot is offside, that's not, to me, that, that's not offside. Um, and and it, I think it has to change because I think, you know, the fans are, fans are sick and tired of it. Um, and I think most people who, who are involved in the game, I don't think like it. Um, for me, I thought it, when it was proposed that it was coming in, I thought it was going to be good because it would tell you the facts. But for me, it doesn't tell you the. It tells you the facts, but it's it's an exaggeration of uh, of things that really shouldn't happen. I mean, football's a physical game, um, always has been, and there are lines to be drawn at certain points. Uh, there's you know the real dirty play is different to being strong and a bit stronger than the person you're playing against. Um, but some of the goals that have been chalked off now have been just awful. Yeah, and I'm going to go back to something else as well. You mentioned, obviously, you played with Sora Regis at West Brom. 
uh, obviously the past few months, well, few years recently, there's been a lot of racism in football. And I just want your thoughts on the current situation, what needs to be done to get rid of it, really. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't know where where the racism comes from. When I played with Cyril and Laurie, Laurie were, and they were both two black lads. I mean, they, they, they had three lads at West Brom at that time, uh, which was Laurie Cunningham, who was a fantastic player, who went on by for Real Madrid and Manchester United and England, uh, and Cyril, who also played for England. And we had another lad, a fullback called Brendan Batson, who's now, uh, I think, he's deputy chairman of the PFA. Uh, and those three, uh, three black lads were known as Three Degrees. And, and, you know, they were really almost the beginning of the, of the revolution of black players coming into the first division at that time, the first division, which is now the Premier Division. Um, and they suffered, I mean, when you, if you're talking about racism now, uh, Ethan, yeah. you, would, you would have been horrified at what used to happen in the 70s. What's happening now... Um, it's not great for. I mean, it's awful for the for the black lads who are having to suffer it um, from from the terraces. Uh, and I think at times it, it comes from abroad. Some of the I think some of the Eastern European countries that England have gone to play against uh, over the last 12 months to two years, there's been a lot of racism thrown at players uh, in those games. But it is nothing. It really is nothing like what it was like in the 70s. Um, it, you know, it was just, it's not great. It's, it, no one, no one condones, uh, calling people out just because of the color of the skin. Um, we're all, we were all footballers then when I played with Laurie and Cyril, they were just players in our team. We never thought of them as anything else. Um, just good lads who were our pals. And you know, I think anything that's come, that comes from the terraces, can't be good. It's not right. It's um, you know we're all human beings, and, and, and you know it's uh, it's good. I think that that the the Black Lives Matter stuff has has happened, and the teams are taking the knee and, and making a um, some sort of a a signal that you know as footballers, professional footballers at the very top level, we believe that this has to be cut out. Um, but uh, you know it, it it isn't great. We, we know that. But if you lived in the 70s and seen what used to go on in those 70s and, and early 80s, you probably wouldn't have been able... You wouldn't have believed that those things were going on. It was just terrible back then. Yeah, I think that's everything.